This episode of the DJ Force X podcast is proudly sponsored by Fixed. Fixed is a fan and artist-friendly independent record label that specializes in hybrid electronic rock. It's home to the likes of Cell Dweller, Blue Starly, I Will Never Be The Same, Richie Nicks, The Algorithm, Voicians, Celia Kira, and a whole bunch more. Check out their latest label sampler for just one dollar at their official store, FixedStore.com. That's F-I-X-T Store.com. Save 10% off your first order by using my coupon code FORCEX. That's F-O-R-C-E-X. They have loads of shirts, hoodies, stickers, posters, and many other accessories for all their artists. And this is available worldwide with fantastic international shipping rates to go with that. So head over to fixstore.com and check them out. And don't forget, use my coupon code FORCEX. Hello and welcome to the DJ Force X podcast, episode 52. Um, last week we had a double header. Uh, this week we're going to have a double header, but this is start of um, a series of podcasts that will be happening uh, every every other couple of podcasts. Uh, but I'm going to hit you up with a double to start with. Now, this is more of an industry-based um, podcast interview. Now, I've got a brand manager uh, from a drinks company coming up. His name is James Patterson. Uh, he works for Fireball here in the UK. Uh, they are sponsoring a tour called Fueling the Fire, uh, headlined by Less Than Jake, uh, with support from Mariachi El Bronx and the Skints. Also, on each of those shows, they've got a local opener uh, who won a competition to be there. So they're kind of supporting local music while they're doing it. And for the tidy sum of only £10. Now, you can check out that tour uh, if you go to Fireball UK dot com find the fueling the fire uh links uh there are uh, tickets available via the usual outlets um but it's the yo2 venues up and down the country i think some of them are already sold out but check it out um it should be a real fun tour and if you're into that kind of drink drink away my second interview is with a music uh manager a band manager uh now this guy andy farrow uh he has managed or is managing currently paradise lost opeth uh, he's helping out Devon Townsend, Catatonia, uh, and he has his roots really deep into, um, the, the music industry. And yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting interview. Uh, he also has a, um, if you're interested in managing a band, obviously after you listen to the podcast, uh, you'll have some knowledge from it, but he has a, uh, a webinar, uh, that he, uh, that he does called how to manage bands.com. Um, and it was set up by him and a couple of his friends. And it's basically advice for people who, uh, or musicians that don't know how the management side works, what they should look for. Maybe if they want to go into music management, um, it's a good resource for you. So I stress to check that out if you're into it um so we yeah we go into various bits of conversation uh regarding uh the music industry and all that kind of stuff and what they do and how they got there and you know uh, what exactly their role is within within the circuit um i'm hoping to follow this up in a couple of weeks with a couple of other industry types i'm looking for a music lawyer publicist um a music accountant just to maybe get a couple of um you know bits of information from them um but yeah i hope you enjoy it i hope you find it um helpful and uh, let me know uh, hit me back at twitter at dj force x on facebook dj force x and info at dj is my email address um i do reply so please far away um 
And if you're wanting to know anything, hit me up as well. Uh, maybe I know something, or maybe I know people who know something uh, about the music industry, um, not just rock and metal, but also the dance music side of things as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope you enjoy this. It's a double header. Uh, there's not going to be any talking for me in between. There's going to be like a little musical interlude that it's going to go into Andy. Uh, so yeah, enjoy. Welcome to my show this week. I have James Patterson. He is the UK brand manager for the company Fireball. Uh, they make a, a cinnamon, is it a cinnamon whiskey? Is that right, James? That's right, yeah. It's, yes. a, it's a cinnamon flavoured product. It's whiskey based. All right, cool, cool. So yeah, I just so I got that right. <laughs> um, so yeah, welcome to the show, Jamie, James. Um, how, how are you doing today? Really well, thanks. Uh, great weather in London for, for a change, so uh, I'm very happy with that. Excellent, excellent. So um, let's just get, just to start off, get a bit of background on the Fireball Company, for those who aren't sure who they are. Um, sure. If you want sure. to give us so, a um, bit of background. Well, for the for the American listeners among them, um, they'll be pretty aware of what Fireball is, I, I imagine. Um, it's yeah. been a product in the States for, in one form or another, for quite a while. Um, originally sort of developed as a flavoured schnapps um, in, as part of the Dr. McGilligoddy's brand's and um, in 2007, had a rebrand and called Fire Whiskey now. Uh, since then, it's had pretty much an unprecedented growth. Um, just to give you a couple of ideas of how, how, how it grew. In 2011, it was just short of 2 million in sales via retail. And uh, nice. two years later, up to 61 million in sales, which, which surpassed Patron Tequila and Jameson's Irish Whiskey, which is quite an amazing growth in such a short space of time. And even now we're we're sitting atop a Jägermeister, and I think we're looking at sort of even Jack Daniel's volume in the states, which is pretty incredible. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all sort of come about through cultivating uh, bartenders' word of mouth and a pretty small advertising budget, uh, and also um, the American love of cinnamon, really. Yes. Yeah. Um, so my job is really trying to create recreate some sort of uh, following in, in in the UK as well. We haven't had it quite as long. It's only been here for about four or five years now, and. Um, yeah, it's going pretty well. Sales are sales are looking great. Um, you know, it's growing in popularity. It's got a really nice following, all with uh, all within the consumer demographic. So, signs are very positive at the moment. Nice, nice. I was gonna say, yeah, I had heard of it from over here. Um, the uh, a team I play on, uh, kickball team, uh, which is a sport yeah. people play here as a recreation. Uh, before the game, uh, five or six of my teammates used to do a pre-match uh, fireball shot. So. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, sounds like a good idea <laughs> well, they, they needed it apparently so it's uh yeah no so i had heard of it prior to this which is kind of nice so um but yeah fireball in the uk right now they're about to uh well they've announced a tour uh called Indeed. fueling the fire and it's got less than jake el mariachi el bronx and the skints as the main three bands yeah. um three uh fantastic bands definitely. Yes. yeah definitely so um tell me more about that what was the idea behind that 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 just is it just an awareness tour or is it something that was uh yeah it's um, certainly a brand awareness exercise certainly um um it was to create sort of a fun experience for for fans of this sort of music um where fireball traditionally does quite well mm-hmm. um so we wanted to offer like a really good value tour so tickets are just 10 pounds where each of these bands could probably charge 15 by themselves yep. for these sort of venues um but we wanted people to go in with the idea that they haven't spent that much money and feel committed to part of a fun night We've also put on a few few more bands on top of that as well. Um, we've got Kamiri and the Bennies, um, who are going to be uh, playing four dates each. And then we've got we had a competition as well, which uh, we we basically gave away the opening slot to local bands for each venue, which we're really excited about. We've got some great 
Great winners coming through on that. Yeah, no, I saw the, um, the they announced the winners um, a few days ago. Um, let's go through them. You got AMFX. Um, yeah, there we get the Birmingham date. Cool. Uh, Better days. Better days, at Newcastle. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Blackwater County. Blackwater County, super fun sort of rock folk sort of thing from yep. Bournemouth. Cool. And uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, broken three ways. Yeah, are we playing the Manchester date? Cool. Embers. Embers will be playing at Glasgow. Nice. Uh, Ghouls. Ghouls will be at Brixton Academy. Sweet Little Machine. Sweet Little Machine will be playing at the Sheffield. And Weather State. And Weather State will be at the Bristol Academy. Nice, nice. I was actually going through those bands. I was listening to because you put up a, um, a SoundCloud uh, compilation. Uh, Indeed, yeah. Which people can find at soundcloud.com slash fireballuk. Um, That's the one, yeah. And it's all kind of punk, ska, two-tone, reggae... Uh, kind of party vibe bands. Um, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Embers yeah, track. Yeah, we really in fact, wanted to tie so. in with the... Yeah, the Embers track's great. Yeah. Um, we, we really wanted all the bands to sort of tie in and buy into the pop-punky, scary sort of party philosophy yeah. of the bill. And, uh, I mean, between... We, we, we judged the bands between a couple of people, between myself, um, Ian Richard and Shaw Ryman from the Academy Music Group, um, mm-hmm. Les and Jake were involved as well, and uh, Jamie from Wall of Sound. Nice. Uh, and also Alex Baker at Kerrang! Fresh Bloods. Um, so there was a couple of like decent decent people on board to help judge that, and we had a hell of a lot of entries. I think it was over 900 in the end. Yeah. And there were some really, really high-quality entries. That, um, um, but we were, we were delighted with the ones we chose in the end. Cool. So was that like uh, they were just they just submitted a track? Um, or was Indeed, it more of a... yeah. Okay, cool. So it wasn't yeah, like a battle of the bands line. or anything. It was just... No, no, no. no. On the quality All of the, the recording they had. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, the tour runs from the 3rd to the 11th of October. Um, it does indeed. Uh, up and down the UK. It's all the O2 venues as well. Um, so it's the O2. I haven't got the dates in front of me. If you want to read them out. So, uh, yeah, we start on the 3rd of October at the Bristol O2 Academy. And then it'll be Sheffield on the 4th. 5th will be at Birmingham. 6th will be at the iconic Brixton Academy. 8th will be at Newcastle. 9th, Glasgow. 10th of October at Manchester. And the 11th will be finishing up in Bournemouth. Nice, nice. And so, like you say, it's only £10 um, for Indeed. the ticket. Um, any of those dates, are, are all the dates still available? Uh, Manchester's unfortunately sold out now. Okay. Uh, we're looking like we will sell out pretty much all of them. Uh, and tickets are going quickly. We've got a month left now nice. of ticket sales. So um, we're looking like we'll probably be mostly sold out. So if you're looking to get a ticket, it should be ASAP, really. Excellent, excellent. And are you, are you running any promotions at the nights for the Fireball drink? Do you know if there are any promotions? Well, indeed, yeah. That'll all be a on the night, nice surprise type thing. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. We like excellent. to have a trick up our sleeves. Yes. <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, so that, that runs from the 3rd to the 11th. Uh, it is called the Fueling the Fire Tour, um, and it is brought to you by Fireball. Uh, the main headlines are Less Than Jake's. Less than Jake, just to go back to it, less than Jake, Mariachi El Bronx and the Skints. Uh, and each local show will have a local support band as well, which we've um, just gone through as well. And uh, yeah, our, the next part of this, um, I'd actually like to ask you more about your job itself. Um, so what would you say, well, what are the responsibilities of being like a brand manager for a product or a company? It's, um, it's essentially just steering the, the brand in, in the right marketing direction. Um is picking a demographic or, or knowing who your product sells well to and yeah. activating and marketing within those spheres. Um, so the, the fun side of the job is definitely running stuff like this tour. 
mm-hmm. and other activations and working alongside various promoters and influencer accounts and just spreading the good word of Fireball, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm really lucky because I actually have a keen interest in rock and metal where where this brand actually does does the best in the UK. Yeah. In the US, it's probably a bit more affiliated with country music. Yes. Um, but that sort of user base doesn't really doesn't really exist in the UK so much. Um, but rock and metal, they, they do have a nice little brand tie in there. Uh, the not-so-fun uh, side is managing a budget, drilling down its case sales uh, across various channels, and um, it's, it's pretty much a desk job. Uh, it just has a lot of nice perks around the edges. Yeah. Cool, cool. So how would how, how would one become a brand manager? What, what it's, the... I mean, I know quite a few brand managers for different alcoholic products or, or and quite a few other products as well, and no one really seems to have the same story. Um, <laughs> well, how did you, how did you become one? It's quite an interesting one. one. Uh, so when I was at university, I worked at a few bars and ended up running a few venues as well um, and had a decent product knowledge of the industry as a whole. Then after university, I, um, I worked corporately for a bit so in the incredibly dynamic, flexible packaging industry, yeah. <laughs> which was uh, a little bit off the off the right. Um, yeah. Um, and then uh, I joined High Spirits, who are the, are the UK distributor of Firewall, and uh, they look after about 40 products in the UK. Okay. Including like Buffalo Trace Bourbon, uh, Southern Comfort now, and a couple of other brands as well. And I joined their sales team, and um, I worked for two years in that. And then the opportunity sort of presented itself because Fireball started to prop itself up as a as um, a premium focus brand for the company. And after seeing how well it did in the US as well, uh, it became a real focus, and it needed a brand manager. And I jumped at the opportunity. Really, um, nice. I had an idea for where it should go, where it fitted, and luckily the company agree with me so they put me on excellent cool well thank you for that um i've got a couple of questions left now uh these, sure. are, these are kind of ones that i ask everyone that i interview so cool um first one is the the three top albums that have influenced you uh in your life so basically what made you the person you are today if you could pick three. brilliant yeah um so the first two are really easy for me uh my two favorite bands yeah. Uh, without shadow of a doubt, the first will be Refused, The Shape of Pump to Come. Cool, excellent. It's album. just really raw and energetic, and uh, you know, the first time you see New Noise live, like the hairs on your on your skin just stand up, and it's yep. like a bomb going off in a venue. Yeah. And I listen to the record, still listen to it pretty much, you know, at least once a week. I think it's it still gives me goosebumps every time. Um, it's just you know that that first when I the can scream kicks in, it's just. Yes. Yeah, it's so cathartic, yeah. and I, I love the rawness and the energy. And seeing them live is is, is really something. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, I, um, I used to DJ clubs mm. in the UK, like rock clubs, because you know over the UK yeah. we have an abundance of them. Here, not so much. But um, um, <laughs> but when you played that track, you just see this whole floor. Like yeah, you know, when I scream, everyone kind of jumps at the same time and then hits yeah, the ground. Yeah. And so it's just one of those bits. Even if you're just playing the CD, essentially, but you still get that energy from it, and it's it's a great track. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the second one will be Deftones' White Pony. Nice. Um, it, for me, it's just a perfect album. The the melodies, the the beats, the powerful riffs. It, it's got everything. And then Chino's voice is just it's just so on point for the mm-hmm. entire album. Um, Digital Bath is just a, a perfect song for me. Yeah. I actually had the pleasure of um, of meeting him at the Crown Awards this year. Um, oh, nice. The only problem with that is with meeting one of your heroes is I was just completely starstruck and I had nothing to say. <laughs> so I think he thought, he thought I was a bit weird and, and probably a bit drunk, but, you know, um, he he seemed like a nice chap, but it, they're absolutely a perfect album for me. Excellent. The, the rest of their back catalog is great as well. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, the third one is, is a real tough one. 
Um, <laughs> I could even name people like Baroness, Brand New, Gallows, Killswitch, but uh, there are t- times when I just pretty much want to sit on a beanbag and eat a yogurt. And for those times, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I had to choose a sort of slightly different genre. Uh-huh. Um, and for that reason, I think Aphex Twin Selected Ambient Works nice. would be yeah. uh, would be right on my street for the for the yogurt times. Yeah, it's quite a nice antithesis to the metal. And like when you go back and listen to something like Dillinger, you just appreciate the complexity all the more. Yeah. Um, so that, that's that's my three, I think. Excellent, excellent. I love Aphex Twin. I love his um, the analog bubble bath CDs used to read. Yes, out. yeah. Um, they're all fantastic. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, no, it's mm. just it was great. Like an, an artist just releasing stuff that was kind of just for the sake of you know not for like you know promotional wise it was just releasing so but the mm. the tracks themselves are amazing so yeah excellent good yeah, choices yeah. good choices so uh what are your hobbies away from work what do you do to kind of uh escape your uh you know to get away from everything <laughs> get away from the desk yeah um, so when i first moved back to london about two years ago i made a promise myself i'd take advantage of the the incredible sort of music scene here in london yeah and i would go to one gig every week it didn't matter what it was or where it was or what sort of music it was really i just wanted to be exposed to it and um i think i kept that up for nearly a year which was you know I, I did, did a couple of couple of solo gigs as well was probably that um that was that was sort of my i mean live music is something i just i put everything into i yeah you know i, I go to it as much as i can not so much as a cliche but it's just for to get out and see what people are doing like yeah. it's all it's all well and good like hearing things on the radio or on cd but seeing any new techniques or just new sounds coming out yeah um aside from that i play rugby cool uh for people in america they're starting to know what rugby is now the seven storm was quite good in the olympics um uh i'm just hanging out with friends and my partner um nothing nothing too extravagant really i like to chill cool you know. excellent excellent so finally uh last question uh where can people reach out to the company online or yourself sure so our, our website in the uk will be fireballuk.com uh-huh. Um, and then in the states will be firewhiskey.com and that has a has contact form for all sorts of inquiries uh, where it's about the product where it's about you're running a bar and you want some sort of visibility or to run some sort of event or or even sort of the information about the tour or other activations that we're going to be running um, mm-hmm. if it's specifically about the tour itself then the Academy Music Group website will be the best um, so if you go into one of the venues that we're playing at, we're running at like the O2 Brixton Academy yeah um, there'll be lots of information on there and some contact forms and then the tickets are available through ticket web cool excellent well james thank you very much for your time today um pleasure yeah thank you um this sounds like a great tour great project as well to be working on um good luck with it um thank you very much uh yeah i hope it goes really well for you i'm sure it will it looks it's got all the ingredients for it so um thank you but yeah again thank you very much for your time james great to speak to you cool you have a great rest of your day okay cheers you too thank you bye-bye this week's podcast is brought to you by audible.com get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash dj force x there are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iphone android kindle or mp3 player i have managing director and founder of the northern music company andy farrow welcome andy Hi, hello. Hi, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. It's uh, sunny here in Yorkshire, so it's, uh, you know, a bit of a change. It's a good day. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. So um, just to get started, uh, just get some um, origin story about Northern Music um, on how you got it set up. Okay. Uh, well, in, in, initially, I mean, I started out in the kind of anarcho-punk scene, I suppose, which was in the early 80s, Put you know, booked, uh, promoted loads of bands, did compilation tapes, things like that. Um, after uh, doing a degree, I set up, well, it was called AMF Music originally, and then I merged with a partner into Far North Music, and eventually I pushed that partner out, and it became Northern Music. But, uh, yeah, so I started professionally in 1988 when I got a band called Slammer, who signed to Warners. Nice, nice. And so you've, you've gone from there. You've, you represent some of the like, biggest names in rock and metal. Um, right now, at the moment, I'm just looking down your management list, your artist list, and you've got Opeth, Paradise Lost, uh, Catatonia, Devlin Townsend. You know, these are all huge names within metal. Uh, were you originally out for the sort of rock and metal, or was it just kind of you kept it open for all kinds of genres? Uh, uh well as i said my background was sort of punk and yeah. basically uh i suppose really you know kind of getting into the metal or the more extreme metal was certainly you know with a band like paradise lost who were part of the death metal scene you know the underground scene they were doing tape trading and things like that so it was very similar to that kind of a narco punk scene so how it all operated was similar um as far as bands that we manage, yeah, generally it's got to be rock. It doesn't have to be metal. You know, my background with the punk and stuff, you know, I've done alternative bands and, you know, bands like Trail of Dead. Um, I have some other companies, a uh, publishing company called AMF Music through Cobalt, mm -hmm. and it's slightly wider there. There might be a few singer-songwriters. Um, but, you know, on the management front, yeah, he's more rock and metal because, you know, I don't really know about pop. You know, I do like Scar. But, yeah, I mean, this is my, my kind of field, really. Okay, cool. So what, what kind of um, – what ethos do you run the company under? What's your, what's your aim when you, when you take, over, take on these bands? Uh, well, uh, on the website, we say uh, we facilitate the artist's vision, as long as it's my vision. But uh, that's a joke. Um <laughs> Well, I think, you know, the, the major thing with the band, you know, the kind of bands I deal with, a lot of them are kind of leaders and not followers within their subgenre. And some of them have not been easy to market because they've changed musically. So, you know, a band like Paradise Lost is, even though they come full circle again musically, you know, they've had a few different styles over the years. Devin Townsend, I try and market him as modern-day Frank Zappa, but again, he's done lots of different types of record, and the yeah. next one he wants to do is a symphony. So it's very much like trying to keep them on the path that's working, but allowing them to do what they want to do musically because, you know, that's their art. And again, you know, with Opeth, I kind of got involved uh, just after Blackwater Park, and obviously as a band, you know, they've changed quite a bit, fan base has changed, but, you know, I've always stuck with it and looked at a way of, you know, how you can market the band with what they're doing musically and, and growing it. So it's very much, uh, you know, facilitate their musical vision, but also try and uh, give them some advice on certain things they should and shouldn't do. I mean, another area as a manager these days, album sales are down, so live is really important, as is merchandise, to earn money. Mm. So, um, you know, I've kind of been very instrumental in coming up with ideas of 
doing special gigs, whether it's been at the Royal Albert Hall or Opeth at Sydney Opera House, uh, you know, Devin Townsend doing Retinal Circus, because, yeah. you know, to compete in a live arena, you've got to do something different. And a lot of people are liking uh, heritage these days. You know, they, 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 they like to go back. It's not like if you play an older album that you're selling out, people do want to relive it. Yeah. And those people are older and they've got money in their pockets. You know, I've just booked... Uh, Terrorvision doing a regular Urban Survivors tour, and you know that's, that's selling nice. really, really well. So yeah. it's a case of, you know, their fan base is going to be forty, and you know they've got <laughs> money, and you know they'll come and 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 they'll enjoy it. So, you know, I think these days you've really got to be, you know, very clever on the live side. Also, you know, I, I do something in Bulgaria in a place called Plovdiv where. Um, a band plays in a Roman amphitheater with a 48-piece orchestra and choir. So, so far, I've had Anathema, Opeth, Paradise Lost do it, and Catatonia are doing it this month, and then I'm talking about Devin Townsend next year. So, nice. you know, these are interesting kind of things that you can film and do a DVD. DVD sales are down a little bit, but it's, you know, you, then you've got a live album. But I think it's... You know, you've got to take a different approach. And again, I've seen certain bands copy it. You know, with Opeth, I came up with the idea of the Palladium. Mm. Unfortunately, two weeks before the gig, they told us we couldn't have the venue because Cats was in there. So we had to move it to the Theatre Royal. But since then, you know, Ghost have done it, Dream Theatre's done it. So it's very hard getting a a special venue for a band that might be deemed metal. You know, Sydney Opera House were like, oh, you know, we can't have Opeth playing there, they're too metal, etc. And, mm. you know, it's in February and it's sold out in two days, which, which which is amazing. So I think if you give the fans something special, um, they'll come. The other thing I did with Anathema is put them in an acoustic format playing cathedrals. Now, I'm sure there were people in that audience who didn't really know the band were. They just came because of where it was. It was more like a cultural event yeah cool cool that sounds amazing some of those things like like with the just having a symphonic orchestra with these bands just sounds amazing um so what would you what would you measure success on for you on that front i mean obviously i'll ask you what your biggest success has been but how do you kind of um what kind of uh, bar do you set for yourself well, I mean, you know, these days album sales are down, but I still get very excited about chart positions. Um, but we just don't tell how many we actually sell to achieve those positions. So you put it on the Internet. So, you know, when an album's out, I'm always trying to get good chart positions because it's good to see rock and metal bands utilizing their fan base and getting good chart positions. So, you know, I've had like Paradise Lost again to number three in Germany, nice. Opeth 15 in America, uh, I think it was 16 in the UK. So, you know, we've got a Devin Townsend album out tomorrow. So we've got all the pre-orders on our various merchandise stores and ways to utilize the fan base and do a lot of formats as we've done with Opeth. I think we've got like nine different types of vinyl. Nice. And, you know, their fans buy it. So, you know, chart positions are important. I mean, I suppose long term for, for me, you know, because you can sit there and say you've got chart positions, therefore you're successful. But if mm -hmm. it doesn't make money for everybody, it's not. So it depends how you define success. But, you know, I still look at chart positions, selling out gigs. But I think, you know, from the relationship with the bands, it's about setting them up in companies, their own companies that can operate as proper businesses where the band members are on a salary and then, you know, if they do well, they take dividends. 
you know, some of my bands, I encourage them to buy houses. They've got pensions and things like that because yeah. too many bands get signed, especially in the 80s, and they get loads of money, buy a car, and it would lose value, and then they have nothing, and they've got to go back to normal life. So I think that hopefully my acts, you know, further down the line, will think, oh, he did okay by us. I've got a house, you know, I, I've got some investments and yeah. things like that. So... Because it's so hard to, to, to earn money for acts these days, especially the, the way that deals are structured and yeah. certainly labels trying to earn on absolutely everything. So, you know, the other thing for me is, you know, the kind of deals that I get for bands. I mean, you know, I know labels think I'm pretty aggressive on deals. I do like a reasonable advance, but, you know, the big thing that's important to me now is that bands get decent royalties. They also have a license, so they get their master back. I don't see why a label should should own your record forever. Mm. And the real stickler is uh, digital and streaming income because so many bands, old contracts, they're earning 20% of what the label gets, and it's peanuts. Now, the label doesn't really have an overhead there, so I'm insisting going forward that bands get 50 60% of that and also the other area is I'm trying to future-proof contracts when I negotiate them where the the artist is also able to have their own YouTube channel without loads of restrictions so that they can monetize it later on down the line because there's restrictions putting up music because mm. people have got rights. But the thing is, if you get enough subscribers there, you can monetize those things. So I'm kind of, uh, I suppose, the crusader to... You know, get bands fair deals and look at different income streams on how they can make money. I mean, something we do with some of the acts is VIP tickets. Some people don't like these things, but they are necessary so some bands can tour or afford to tour in America. So, you know, I think the thing is it's about trying to negotiate good fair deals for the bands so that they can operate businesses that are profitable and earn a living. No, that's really cool. I mean, like especially with the new digital streaming um, side of things as well. I mean, it's it's not that new, but it is more of the forefront. Yeah. Um, and actually, have, well, that, like knowing to negotiate harder on those is great. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, certain I shouldn't say it, but certain American managers, they're all about the advance and stuff. And at the end of the day, when a band's a certain size, your album advance can be a festival fee. You know, I mean, the yeah. touring the budgets are so big, but you know, again. Digital streaming, you know, a lot of rock metal bands is still 20, 25%. But if you've got a younger audience, you're a Kerrang type band, mm-hmm. it might be 50. But then you go to places like Scandinavia and 85% of people consume music through streaming, even black metal fans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even when it was like everybody thinking, should we go on Spotify or not? You know, the reality is when you get to Scandinavia, that's how they consume music. The one thing you should do when you tour there is always take physical because yeah. they will buy it yeah definitely definitely i was uh chatting to um a label based over here in the states a couple of months ago and uh they were saying they they get like huge amount of revenue out of the streaming services for their artists um like yeah uh, well for their artists or for them <laughs> probably well, for them <laughs> the, the the label's set up by the main artist on the roster so oh, okay. he kind of like he has the mentality of like the musician like paying back the other musicians and right, they, they do okay. a lot of licensing stuff as well for movies, video games, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's mainly like electronic music, so it's a different different genre on that pattern. But he was saying the mainstream of revenue they get now um, is from just Spotify. 
um yeah you know that being their main source of income for the label well um, you know if you're saying there it's electronic you know i mean one of the bands i manage 65 days of static they're mm-hmm. kind of post-rock they don't hate that term instrumental band they've just done the soundtrack to no man's sky yes. you know the computer game yeah and you know what's interesting i annexed that deal i got the album back and then we put it out through another company but with a band like that, yeah, their streams are really big, and even their biggest streaming song is comparable uh, to Opeth's. And yet, when you look at the physical sales, there's a huge difference. So I think, mm. again, it's about identifying who your audience is and how they consume music. I mean, luckily for me, with some of the bigger acts we have, we sell a lot of vinyl, and there is money to be made in vinyl, yeah. and there's collectors out there because, you know, streaming... I mean, for years, I didn't even have an iPod, and, you know, I'm finally on Spotify, and I love it because I can go and play a load of old punk stuff to younger people here mm. <laughs> and uh, enjoy a Friday afternoon. So you've got, like, that library, but I'm still very much about, you know, physically feeling something, looking at the artwork and yeah. stuff like that. So, which certainly in a rock metal thing, you know, that's still really important, packaging, and because people, they will pay for a good quality product, I think. They will, they will, and especially when a lot of like the rock and metal bands, they do put a lot of thought into their artwork as well um, yeah. for their albums. And I'm I'm a vinyl collector myself, so I love getting like the big sized artwork um, yeah. over a CD, which is kind of small booklets, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But actually having the physical product in my hand rather than um, a file on a computer, kind of it makes a definitely difference. definitely makes a difference for me i mean i'm old enough to remember just having yeah. physical sales so <laughs> uh, uh, yeah i mean with that you know talking about artwork you know i'm managing travis smith now who's who's done opeth catatonia devin townsend so mm-hmm. you know i suppose as a manager you know i've got a management company but i've got publishing i've got a label merchandise shares in pr mm-hmm. shares in a festival that you know when you're a manager you're a bit of a jack of all trades so i'm looking at areas and thinking well you know, I should get involved in that or I could help that person. So, you know, artwork's an interesting thing where for record companies paying for the artwork and they don't have any merchandise rights, when they pay for it, they're not going to clear merchandise rights. And bands need to be careful on that, that mm. they've actually got rights to make T-shirts, uh, you know, and other forms of merchandise. So, you know, I suppose... With all you know, because we have a holding company, and then there's about six companies underneath, and then some subsidiaries. But it's it's all about that when you're a manager, you deal with you know just about everything in an artist's career. You know, even yeah. with the smaller bands, we'll do the VAT returns if they can't afford an accountant. But it's uh, yeah, it gives you a broad spread. And I've employed lots of like ex people from Roadrunner, and they work at a label, and they come in and they're like, "Blimey, this is confusing," because they only see one side from yeah. a label. And that's why, you know, I think sometimes when people come for internships, if you come into a management company that's got a lot of strings to its bow, you get experience everywhere. You know, it's yeah. just surprising how many people from a record label side they don't even understand what publishing is and, and things like that. So. You know, I think that as a manager, you can have a very good, broad view. Yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, from my background, I kind of self-managed the band I was in. Um, and you I do, remember. Yes. <laughs> and you do pick up a lot of stuff um, like it's, that's helped me in other parts of my life. Um, yeah. Just like the way of, of, of managing budgets, managing uh, people. <laughs> um, and and just like just like bits along the way that you don't really collect you put it on a resume and it's kind of like people look at it you're just in a band 
So now yeah. I've, I've sort of like spread it out. I've put like, um, just like man management, you know, budgets, whatever on that front mm. and press and, and marketing yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And it is, there's a lot of stuff you pick up in that field. Oh yeah, definitely. But I mean, you know, I'm sure say I had to go for a job, you know, and they say, Oh, what you've been doing? I've been managing bands. They would just look at you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yet, you know, I would better <laughs> do quite a few things, you know, apart yeah. from type, I'm still not very good at that. Awesome. <laughs> Cool. So what do you look for in an artist? So, you know, someone, you know, like, like myself, I, I did approach you at one point in my, mm. in my career, uh, many, yeah. many, many years ago. But um, what do you look for when someone sends you, obviously you, you, the music's the forefront, they'll send you a CD yeah. or uh, along those lines. Um, but what else do you look for in an artist? Well, you know, the first thing's got to be the song and, you know, essentially a great song doesn't you don't have to spend a fortune recording it these days and i've had bands in the past a band called loud who signed to china that was marketed by polydor you know and that was signed off a, a, a demo done on a tascam four track so it's the song you so originally you know when the song comes to you if you like the song then you see the band live now dealing with rock and metal bands you know tv and radio is limited so you've got to be able to perform so you know yeah. it's really important that you're good live and then the other thing to a certain extent is image i mean you know you can have an anti non-image and that becomes your image but yeah. you know certainly you know going back from kiss to slipknot you know these bands with images or you have to have something that's slightly different the other thing i look for is to uh to be slightly different because what happens with music is it styles are very cyclical. You know, there was new metal and then there's speed metal, thrash metal. And, you know, and then when metal core came out, there was all these bands that exactly the same formula. And you think, well, what is different about them? You know, and yeah. I, I, I use this analogy the other day where you've got a band, say like Slipknot, and then you had a band like Mushroom Head, both came out using a similar image but, you know, one band's bigger than the other. That was down to songs, I think. So, yes. I mean, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so it is the song and then combined with live and then image and being the whole package. But, you know, one thing that's come across recently with bands I've managed is that when I meet them, I've got to like the people because I'd say in the past, I've been driven for my love of the music. Yeah. And I didn't get on with the people and I'm not a puppet. <laughs> so, let's just say there's been some interesting times yes. and also i say i tend to attract a lot of crazy people i've had uh <laughs> you know devin's not too bad he's great these days but you know but 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 you know that whole thing because you've got a relationship and the thing is with bands it's very important that you don't cross the line some of some of the bands that i manage i would consider them friends and there's ones that i know really well yeah but it's very important i think that you're not too close because you can't always be objective so sometimes when a band's going this is a lead single or this is great for a t-shirt i'm like you're too close to it so uh yeah you know sometimes having you know what they were calling psychology having boundaries is, is important but um yeah, you know, you've got, I don't go out on tour, I do the occasional gigs, but I mean, it's very much like even when you're in a band, you've got to kind of try and get on with each other because you're in a closed environment. And again, as a manager, you're not necessarily in that closed environment, but you're in a situation where you're dealing with uh, creative people yes. that psychology says they can be irrational. So, you know, I, I, you know, I used to think oh, I, I'll better persuade somebody and I do most of my work on email and I'm not great at typing. Mm. 
if I go for a meeting with a band, generally I can persuade them why something's a good idea. But getting it across, typing is not always good. Or you do it on email, and sometimes people say that I'm a bit abrupt. But that's just how I am. Yeah, yeah. You, don't you know, I mean, I, I'm straight on. I'm straight. You know, with stuff. I don't. You know, if I, one of my bands has not done a great gig, I will tell them. Yes. No, and that's good. That's what a lot of um, artists don't have. In a lot of cases, they don't have that kind of like straight up honesty. Yeah, um, but some of them don't want it either. No, there That's is that too. That's what I was about to say. Some of them don't want it, but you I, know, because, I, because you know, the big problem you've got is that when you're a manager, I mean, technically you might have a contract with a band. Do they? Who? Who is the boss? You know, some bands might call me the boss jokingly or or, or whatever. Mm. But you know, it's like it's a service agreement. But you're not. You know, are you employed by the band? It's a bit of an awkward situation. So, you know, if you come down really hard on a band or you tell the tour manager to, the tour manager's going to be worried the band are going to sack him. So it's it's about getting the balance, and it's got to be about respect, really, because I've had some acts where I said you obviously, you know, there was a certain black metal band, and I said, we obviously don't want a manager. (laughs) Because I said, this is the agenda for the meeting. I don't want to hear about an agenda. So, you know, it's like... You know, you want to have a manager who can bring something to the table and fight for the act, but, you know, not just be... Some some bands just employ managers that are kind of like... That will be on a salary that just deal with all the admin. Yeah. But I don't operate like that. Okay, cool. So what, what tips do you have for bands seeking representation from, from like, yourself or anyone else? Because I've seen on your website you have this great diagram of uh, mm. what a band kind of needs... Yeah. Um, from the point of view of obviously management, uh, representation on the like lawyers side of things. Yeah. Um, so what, what tips would you give bands that are kind of like right. getting to that point now where they feel they need that representation? Okay. Well, I mean, the reason we did that kind of Venn diagram thing is that the music industry is very confusing. And let's just, I've signed bands who've had other managers and I've been astounded they haven't been members of PRS or they have no idea what PPL is and everything's a mess so that was just to give them a clear idea you know firstly it's like do you go to a lawyer do you go to an accountant I mean technically to me I would say getting a manager should be your first port of call now in America they love their lawyers and for example the lawyer gets a percentage of the deal so how I work generally is I'll go out, shop the band, negotiate the deal, and then I go to the lawyer. I've negotiated it. You look at a word in, this is how much you're getting paid because lawyers are overcharging and the deals are not there that they used to be. Obviously, later down the line, complex agreements, you need lawyers, you need accountants. So first, I would say get a manager. Now, the thing is with a manager, you know, sometimes bands will have their best friend. Now, I'm a believer in acorns growing into oak trees, so your best mate might not have experience, but if he's the guy that you really want to manage, you maybe encourage him to go work in a management company so he gets support and he can learn. Because even if you do a music industry management degree, you know, experience is everything. And, you know, when I first started out, I mean, I know a lot more now, and I have actually got a course on, you know, managing bands that I do in Australia. Well, it's, it's worldwide, but it's set up out of there. So... You know, I think the first thing is, you know, you either within the band, the other thing is if you're a band is also work out who's doing what. There's always leaders in bands, you know. Lars Ulrich was the guy really pushing Metallica, writing to people and things like that. So, you're, you know, even before you've got a manager, there's often a leader in the band or somebody that's responsible. Because the other problem I find is that 
if bands are too democratic, they don't make any decisions. And it just goes round and round on the email thing. But, yeah, I would say the first thing to do is, you know, obviously you've got to craft your songs and your live work. And then it's about approaching the right people. Because, you know, I've just had today three acts. One of them was a rap artist. And I'm like, this is good, but have you actually researched what we do? So the other thing is, you know, work out who you want to target. It's much like record labels. You know, look at other bands, look at how they marketed and think, this is who I want to be with, or this band seemed to be doing well. Why are they doing well? Is it the manager? Is it the agent? Is it the label? Mm. Agents, another thing. You know, we have a booking division here that you can get a manager and even a small label deal, and sometimes you can't get an agent. But, you know, my response there is get a manager to book the gigs. You know, it's not rocket science. Yeah. So, you know, I think... Yeah, manager is, is probably first port of call. You know, you could go to a lawyer who could then send it to people as long as they're doing it for nothing or a PR person. But don't get into one of these schemes where you're paying people up front because there are some management companies that will charge for certain services. But, you know, really, if they're getting paid, they're not going to go pushing you to get, you know, a deal for you because yeah. – you know, they, they, they need to earn. Whereas if it's like, oh, I'm providing this service and I've mailed out or I've had meetings with this and that person. But, you know, it's the important thing is not just who you go to, but targeting the right person, whether that's a manager, agent, label, publisher or, or what have you. So, you know, when my publishing company, some bands come to me for management and I say, look, will you do 150 gigs a year? And they say, no. I say, all right, well, if I sign your publishing and then I'll help you get a deal or help you get an agent, help you get tours. So on a publishing side, you know, we're a bit proactive like that. So there were certain bands, say like Cult of Luna, and I kind of helped them get their deal. And, uh, you know, a few a few other bands, uh, Messenger from London, sign the publishing and negotiate a record deal for them and then, get, you know, get them some gigs and things like that. So, but, you know, I think, again, it's just about targeting Make sure it's somebody that will understand your music or knows what they're doing with that type of music. There's no point if you're a metal band going to to, to a rap, you know, uh, a rap manager or something yeah. like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. So I have got a couple of questions left for you. Uh, then I'll let you get on with the rest of your day. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, these are kind of like generic questions I asked a lot of the the artists and um people that I generally interview. So uh, the first one is your three top albums. <laughs> off the top of my head yes. oh well that's that's that, that that's kind of uh hmm right and uh, I, I have to have a bit of time to uh think on that uh i'd say uh houses of the holy led zeppelin uh songs of love and hate leonard cohen and uh i'll go with london calling to clash nice. even though back in the day I was so sick of the clash, I moved off into real hardcore punk like Discharge. Yeah. But it's kind of as I was older, I kind of uh, appreciated the songwriting and how this was a band who come from the punk thing where they could, you know, really cross over. Um, I mean, obviously, I love all my own bands and I play it to <laughs> death and stuff, but... Uh, yeah, it's a difficult one off the top of your head. Yeah, that. no, no, that's all right. That's cool. A lot of people struggle with that one, so that's fine. Um, so what what do you do away from away from music management? Do you get time to go away and like do you have any hobbies or any kind of uh, pastimes or anything? 
<laughs> well, yeah, it's always a bit of an issue, the holiday, although I am going to Barcelona tomorrow. Nice. Uh, well, I have an allotment, which freaks a load of people out. Heavy metal manager grows vegetables, but <laughs> not very well. But, I mean, you know, it's kind of like there's a lot of stress in this job, and I yeah. think... Um, you know, just getting your hands dirty, growing things, you know, that's good. I do that. Uh, I spend a lot of time in saunas and steam rooms. Okay. I love that. Uh, walk in the country, uh, that sort of thing. Cool, but, cool. But, but not not other kind of like, they're the main sort of things I, I do outside of this. Yeah, cool. All right. So final question, where can people reach you? Where's the best place to reach Northern Music Company? Uh, best place to reach me is just to email me and it's andy at northernmusic.co.uk I do reply to everyone including fans and that's why sometimes I get 400 a day <laughs> and you know other people put info out or you can't get hold but, you know my whole thing is if you're available you, you don't know cause sometimes with the bands if somebody can't find out who the representative is you can lose something and this can happen in getting syncs for adverts because a lot of these companies and tv adverts films they move really quickly yeah so if they've got to like try and you know it's much like when i'm trying to find out who to get in touch with if i can't see it on the way i get irritated and delete so yeah the email's the best thing i'm not keen on the phone because you know each if each band has got five members and you manage 10 bands and you had to speak to more you wouldn't get anything done yeah that's very and the thing with the email trail is the evidence is there exactly <laughs> yes yeah there's almost a paper a virtual paper trail if you will so yeah cool so thank you andy thank you for your time today all right okay all right. good cool. one thank See you, you later. have a good one Bye-bye. bye 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 bye